Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've long admired Lou Stoppard's ability to draw our attention to the way culture intersects with society. This is the driving force of much of her work, including Exteriors, her new exhibition at MEP Paris, and a book of the same title published by Mac. The project takes the writing of Annie Ernaux, in particular her 1996 book Exteriors, where Annie endeavoured to describe reality through the eyes of a photographer. Lou takes Annie's work and asks the question, can you see a text, can you read a photograph? Pairing Annie's text with images from the MEP collection. What is so fascinating about Exteriors is the way it moves between being both provocative and vibrantly simple inviting the viewer or the reader to look at the world anew. That's what I really like about Annie's work is so much of it, you know, it can be really read as a rallying cry or it can just be read as a statement of fact. And I think that's what's really fascinating about her work. And it's kind of the same with a lot of the photographers in this show. Like their work can be read as a rallying cry or it can be read as a statement of something that happened. And I think that's what I find very rich in the work. I'm Jen Fletcher and you're listening to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Lou Stoppard is a British writer and curator. She has written for the Financial Times, Aperture, The New York Times and The New Yorker. Her books include a survey of work of street photographer Shirley Baker, published by Mac in 2019, Pools, an exploration of swimming in photography, published by Rizzoli in 2020, and Exteriors, Annie Erno and Photography, published by Mac in 2024, to time with an exhibition of the same name at MEP Paris. I wanted to start by talking about kind of how you get curious about things, because you have quite a diverse practice. And so I wondered kind of what drives your impulse to do the work you do. That is such a good question, and I have no idea. <laughs> um, that's also a question that I've been thinking about a lot recently because I quite recently had a baby, and I think there's a really interesting moment when you have a child and you're trying. I mean, some of it is sort of pragmatic, some of it's more philosophical, where you're trying to be like, why do I do what I do? What do I have time to do? What do I want to prioritize? And yeah, I, I mean, you're right, I do have quite a broad practice if you could call it that like I write but I also curate and I work on books but I also work on kind of more conventional kind of journalism type stories where I'll do usually like long reads but kind of a long reported feature I write about photography but my background kind of was more in I guess fashion so yeah what drives me I think I'm interested in the way that kind of this sounds very wanky so I don't judge me but I sort of I think I'm interested in the way that culture like intersects with society usually most of the stuff that I do relates in some way to that there is a sort of like element to it which is looking at a broader I guess a broader understanding of what something says about society um so kind of the stories that interest me tend to be to do with that the photographic projects that interest me tend to do with that I also really like having a balance of pace. So that's why I I do work on kind of journalism alongside an exhibition, because I like having a project that's long term alongside a project that's short term. And I kind of quite like doing things that bring different media together. I mean, most of my exhibitions have done that. So they've united kind of like photography with art, with fashion or kind of bringing using a topic as a way in. So they're quite mixed media type projects. I mean, this most recent project that I think we're going to talk about, the Annie Erno project. I mean, that's photography and literature. So I think I like things that kind of cross... I mean, I mean, kind of maybe that's just a, like the general vibe of my career is that it's kind of lots of different boxes and things moving across different, different things. But yeah, it's constantly in flux. <laughs> 
And what attracts you to the exhibition, like, form? Because, you know, you, you talked before about you you have done some incredible books and you do a lot of work in print. And I always think of you as this, like, incredible host as well. Like, I still re-watch a lot of your, you know, show studio interviews. You're a really great sort of moderator and sort of conversationalist when it comes to, like, drawing interesting things out of people, particularly things that people may not want to talk about, but are culturally significant. And so what is it about the exhibition that really sort of grabs you? Because I feel like you're doing more and more of that. Yeah, that's a really good question. It kind of goes back to when I was working at Show Studio, which just for your listeners is, if they don't know, is a, a sort of fashion and moving image platform started by the photographer Nick Knight, who's a fashion photographer. And it was kind of really pioneering it's actually kind of hard to state how pioneering it was when it started I mean it was around long before I joined I mean it was about putting like moving image on the internet um and that was you know it started like five years before YouTube it was really questioning kind of what a fashion image could be but also kind of what how digital could transform the way that fashion was kind of viewed and I mean the whole idea of like behind the scenes was like totally pioneered by show studio I mean Nick would live stream his shoots things that now like seem almost so normal that's when I that's why I always say it's so hard to kind of capture how pioneering it was so when I was working there and Nick was an amazing boss because he was so kind of empowering I know it's a really overused word but it was really kind of interested in kind of ideas and gave me a lot of freedom he was also like a really tough boss you know like expected your work to sort of totally consume your life which was a great thing to do because I worked there in kind of my early 20s so it was perfect time for that but we worked on these kind of series we used to call them projects so often I would have kind of an idea about something that was going on in fashion or image making and then I would kind of explore it in this quite rounded way so we might have like we might commission a film I would commission some essays I would do some interviews so like some projects that I worked on we did a really interesting one on ugliness and what that meant within kind of image making and fashion and we did one called Girly, which was, again, looking at kind of this kind of return to a quite sort of saccharine femininity that was happening in fashion, but also felt like a sort of part of culture at that point and has continued to. I mean, we did ones about print as a format. We did all these kind of series. And I guess after doing quite a few of them, I mean, and I did always kind of think of them as exhibitions, but they were kind of digital exhibitions. But I guess that was where the exhibition drive came from. Is I, I felt like I wanted to do something in a physical space because quite a lot of those projects related to images or garments and then I just wanted to try and yeah just try a different way of so rather than doing it online do it in a physical space it was as simple as that but I don't really see like a huge divide between that work and the work that I do now I mean it is I guess physical rather than being digital but I think the way of thinking about a topic and the way of kind of I guess the way that I would approach it as a curator is is probably really similar to that stuff that I was doing there. And then, so it was while I was there, I I did my first exhibition, which was called Mad About the Boy, which was about fashion and the teenage boy. And that, again, was a mixed exhibition. There was a lot of clothing, but there was also actually a lot of photography and even photo books and film. And I just really, really liked it. And it got a really great response. And I think from, and I really liked kind of, being able to commission installation and think about the way that people move through a space. I think maybe that was something that had started to tire for me with the digital project is it sounds ironic because people always talk about digital, like it lets the audience communicate a lot because obviously people can kind of comment and, and approach you through social media or that it feels more interactive. But I actually felt sometimes like the projects just kind of went out and I didn't really get to observe how people interacted with them. There was something I really liked about the exhibition form where you could, people could kind of really disrupt it themselves. You know, like you always kind of curate something and you spend ages in the space thinking about like ordering and flow. And then someone goes into the space and they walk around it in a totally different way to what you thought they would. And I sort of really Mm. liked that sense of kind of just all of the physicality of it. Uh, Sorry, that's a really long answer, but that's kind of where, that's how the move into kind of exhibition stuff started. But it's a tough thing, right? Because, you know, I don't work for a specific museum I'm freelance and you know everyone knows that it's a difficult time for kind of galleries and museums you know budgets are being cut and I think definitely Covid was really difficult so you know it is it is also always a sort of challenge to get things commissioned and get things off the ground I mean curators who work in-house places are struggling to get their projects going so I always kind of have this feeling of like great joy when a project (laughs) actually manages to see the light of day it's a really really good feeling 
Yeah, I think people don't often know the slog that it takes to make that happen. Yeah, totally. And also, yeah, exactly. And just that process, like there's so many, I mean, Hans Ulrich always talks about this, doesn't he, like unrealised projects, but like there's so many kind of like ghost projects floating around in my head um, that have just never like managed to see the light of day. So yeah, when when something does happen, you, you become very attached to it, but you also kind of mourn things that haven't happened because you're like why this one why have you broken through (laughs) I have this thing about ghost projects that like their time will come I I don't maybe I've just got delusional faith but I'm like their time will come like his history has taught me that their time will come and it may be like five years ten years later oh totally yeah yeah I guess that's like the filter of maybe if something has longevity or reach or a particular important point of view yeah I, I I really think that I think if something's a good idea then it will it will usually work beyond like the immediate moment and maybe that's kind of another thing that has like sort of been a part of my like the change in my career over the last kind of decade which would be that I became less interested in stuff that was like super reactive so I didn't really I mean that's why I kind of moved away from fashion is I I didn't like going to the I didn't like that cycle of kind of going to the shows writing about those shows moving on like I, I, I tend to like things that don't feel so sort of completely hooked to a moment like I feel like I hate writing the kind of journalism where if you pitch the story the editor would be like yeah but what's the hook like I I like writing about Mm -hmm. something where it kind of there is a kind of perpetual hook I guess or where there's almost no hook which again is quite hard to sometimes get those stories commissioned because editors can be like and why (laughs) how do you find pitching do you do a lot of pitching or most of your projects just come to you direct no I tend to I tend to come up with my own project which is amazing because it gives me a lot of freedom but the downside of that is that you're perpetually pitching I mean sometimes someone will come to me and be like oh do you want to write about this or do you want to do that and that's great and often I really enjoy that but usually I tend to come up with with ideas and 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 pitch them and and kind of I'm lucky because I have relationships with some kind of editors or publishers and they kind of know that so then it's not like you're starting from totally scratch but it is an exhausting process and I think that's something that People don't talk about because I don't think it's very glamorous, but like the mm-hmm. sort of perpetual rejection of working for yourself, like the mm-hmm. kind of low level day to day rejection, which is just people being like, oh, thanks for this. But like, no, that's not quite right or whatever. I remember looking at people's careers kind of when I was starting out and just imagining that like every day people were calling them up and being like, curate this exhibition, <laughs> write this essay. And like sometimes you have a lovely week where someone asks you to write a really interesting essay or give a really interesting talk but often it is like literally you being like hello please listen to my idea (laughs) but I quite I quite like that as well at the same time because it lets you kind of do your own stuff so yeah to answer your question I think most of my projects are self-generated so you've got a new show opening up this month at MEP in Paris called Exteriors, Annie Erno and Photography. And you've also got an accompanying book published by Mac. And so I wanted to start, I, I'm really excited to talk about this. I think it's such an interesting project. And I'd read a lot of Annie's work, but never read Exteriors, which seems insane to me now. But I wanted to start by asking you about your first encounter with Annie's work and what it brought up for you. There was this moment where um, I knew Annie's work for a like it had been translated before Fitzcarraldo sort of really sort of made a big push for her so I I knew it but I hadn't read a huge amount of it and then there was this kind of moment I think about two or three years ago probably yeah 2021 where it just felt like every young woman in London was reading Simple Passion all the years and I and I was one of those women kind of reading those books and I read Exteriors really early on and to me it linked with all of her writing as sort of total lack of sentimentality within her writing and this desire to sort of this obsession she has with like capturing the reality of things of an experience sort of really like pushing aside all everything else like any kind of literary flourishes or any kind of moralizing or explanation or justification and just getting to like the truth and I always like whatever that is if you can even do that so I always kind of found this kind of element to her writing and it's something I've thought about a lot since um which was so sort of yeah as I said preoccupied with reality and there's something really photographic in a lot of the ways that she works I mean this wasn't my instant reaction this is stuff I've kind of thought about since but you know like the way she'll frame a thing you know it'll be like an abortion or 
an affair a year. Like it's very, and there's a lot left out of frame. Um, and, and again, and like, as I said, this kind of fascination with capturing things like evidence, like memory, things that are really related to photography. But when I read exteriors, I mean, it's kind of a really simple project. Because it's like, it's not like I read the book and at the beginning of the book, there's a little essay and exteriors is this journal, right? From 1985 to 1992, where she goes around Sergi Pontoir, where she lives, which is on the suburbs of Paris. It's a new town, which was kind of built to relieve housing pressure in Paris. And she goes around Sergi and takes the train into Paris and she just makes observations. So it's like people she sees on the train, people she sees in the supermarket, people she sees in the hairdresser, um, sometimes it's kind of things she sees on TV or reads in, in the newspaper. And at the beginning of the book, she talks about trying to write as if she is making photographs. And there's a very short but sort of quite fascinating little set of lines about photography where she talks about sort of showing things kind of as they were. And she uses this quite interesting word, which is inaccessible. So she's kind of talking about photography as like an idealised form of writing where it is just... Like, it is just there. There's nothing that's kind of, to me, it's about there's nothing that's kind of like helping you understand or justify or there's no kind of flourishes around it. It's just there. It's just kind of, there's nowhere to go. It's just a flat surface. It's right there, which to me is what relates to the inaccessibility. And I remember reading it and being like, oh, someone should just exhibit these texts as photographs. (laughs) Because I was like, they're, they're kind of perfect. They are photographs. That's how I've come to think of them. And I sort of like did like a quick Google and was like, oh, that's so weird. I wonder why no one's really done anything about her photography. Because she does, she writes about photography across all of her books. She talks about photographs of herself. She talks about images from popular culture, you know, film and um, advertising. She uses imagery as a really important kind of prompt within her writing and a, and a, a way of understanding the world. So it's a, it's a huge part of, of how she writes. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And I I spent a bit of time with it and I thought it'd be really interesting to sort of treat her as a photographer and then kind of compare her photography to other photography and think about her in relation to how you would if you were doing a kind of group show if you, you where you compare photographers and you bring them together and I felt like it needed a framework um which was some kind of like collection or or some kind of I it just needed a framework right so I and I thought it would be good to do something in France. So I emailed MEP because I knew they had a massive collection of photography. And I said, look, I've got this idea, but I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like an essay or an exhibition or a book or a talk. I have no idea. But I think it's really interesting. Like, can I come and do some research? And then it was really fortunate timing because they were starting like a curatorial residency, like a research residency where you could spend like a month engaging with their collections. So I went and did that and came up with this kind of speculative group show and I was very fortunate that the team at Fitzcarraldo were really really helpful and they put me in touch with Annie and she has been incredibly supportive through the project and has really kind of I mean it's developed completely because of her input and the way that she's kind of talked to me about her writing and what she thinks about imagery and yes it's become an exhibition which is great and it's kind of a strange project because when I started it she was I mean she's always been very, very known in France. And I think there was this increased international appreciation for her, as we, as I said, kind of with, you know, felt like a lot of young women were really identifying with her work. Well, young people, people in general, but I, I felt it most strongly through. And there was this kind of interesting timing, I think, of some of the horrific stuff that was going on in the, in the news and then in and some of the stuff that she writes about and the sort of, like, strength of that conviction that she has um and it felt like she was really speaking to people but then when I began the project you know she wasn't super well known here but then I did the residency and Met decided they wanted it to become an exhibition and then like literally like two weeks later she won the Nobel Prize in literature so I was like okay (laughs) it was amazing I was like so it was incredible. It was really embarrassing because I'd actually sent her a really boring email like the day before about some stuff to do with the exhibition. And then I had to email her again and be like, please disregard my previous correspondence. You've just won the Nobel Prize. But it was great because it kind of made, meant the project became, I guess, more visible would be a way to put it. What was it like to work with Annie? What was that collaboration like? Because I hadn't realised that had happened until I saw that image of you two on your Instagram it was a real honor and she's been really generous with her time so when I started the residency I went and met with her 
I think I'd only been in Paris for a few days. It was really formative because when I was starting the research, I really didn't know what the kind of edges of that research were going to be. You know, exteriors, as I said, is written from the mid 80s to the early 90s. Like, was I just going to look at photography from that period? Was I just going to look at French photography? Like, was I just going to look at projects about kind of suburbs and cities? You know, like, it was quite difficult to kind of like know what the edges were. But that conversation with Annie, like really totally kind of transformed, I think, what this project has become partly because I mean she's talked about sort of a total disinterest in sort of the picturesque so that kind of immediately tipped me away from a lot of kind of I guess kind of Parisian street photography which is something I had kind of spent a bit of time looking at and it really sort of cemented this idea of being about a way of seeing and an interest in capturing I guess not just kind of routine and day-to-day life but also kind of a sense of like showing things as they were, which sounds ironic because there are some photographers within the exhibition where you could say, but hang on, they don't do that. So like Mah- Mohammed Barouisa is a really good example of that because he, you know, the images he creates are, are fictions, you know, that he, he, they're staged, but they relate to kind of stereotypes and prejudices. So that felt very Annie because there's such a kind of social and political undertone, to, well, not undertone is really simplistic, like thrust to all of her work, right? So... I think it gave a kind of complexity to what I was looking for within the photographers, but also at the same time, it gave it like a remarkable simplicity, which I just felt, I felt like I just got who she was as an image maker when I spent that time with her. And then, yeah, so then I went away and I found all these different projects and and I was kind of looking, as I said, for a variety of things. I mean, a commitment to kind of day-to-day life was one of them, but also there's kind of little jokes and specific things within some of the images I chose, like there's the... Gianni Brengo Garden image of the Venice water bus is in there. And that I chose basically specifically because there's a bit in the years where Annie talks about kind of these like fragmented images, like she's in a shop and she sees all the women around her and they become like all different versions of herself. And it's like kind of these layers of, of lives and, and, and selves. And then you can kind of compress them. She kind of, I, uh, she, equates it to Russian dolls and um, where you sort of stack them in together but that image to me really related to that because it feels like you could like completely take that image apart and you'd have these several different images and then you can kind of squish them all back together and layer it so there's quite a few little or like the Boroisa as I said that related to me the way that Annie kind of goes back through her memory and her like her life basically and make and finds these kind of truths through that so that's to me like those images are true to me, the Boris ones, even though they're, they're staged. And similarly with the Henry Wessel incidents, where it's very much a kind of sense of looking back and finding connections between things. But then there are images that are much more probably kind of directly in keeping with exteriors, which which are about kind of wandering the urban environment and reacting to it in the moment. So then I kind of proposed all these different image makers and I made a big document and I sent it to her and she told me what she thought. And it was it, that was really fascinating, like the images that, she really identified with and the image makers that she felt something very close to like there's a really nice Janine Nieps image of a a mother it's from the 70s I think let me try and find the exact date but it's a mother sort of stood by a big block of flats she's on her balcony and she's oh, it's from 1965 and she's looking she's holding her baby and her baby's sort of got its hand on her face and she's holding her baby and she's looking outwards and Annie and I, I saw Annie this week and she was talking about that image and she said like that she has been that woman. And she, it's something I'd noticed in the image, but I just loved how she said it, which was the, the child is looking at the mother, but she's looking out at the world. And she was like, I've been that woman and I'm kind of that woman at the moment as well because I have a seven month old baby. So there were images like that. I mean, I'd, I'd chosen the image of it being a mother and a child because that possibilities and constraints of motherhood are something that sort of appear across Annie's work so I guess kind of yeah that just just hearing her thoughts on the images was really fascinating and for me kind of like rereading all of her other work as well and kind of finding these like does it matter if someone in the exhibition doesn't make the connection between the water bus and this idea of kind of these stacking layers of imagery like this kind of milfoy of imagery no it doesn't necessarily matter but to me I, I started to kind of find these think about her ethos as a, as a writer and as an image maker, I guess, like really thinking about her as an image maker, like what is her style as an image maker and what are her intentions and what are her preoccupations and kind of her, her morals, if, if that, like to an extent. So yeah, and then the project became an exhibition and then she won the Nobel Prize and we've just kind of stayed, she's just been such a sort of, 
I mean, it sounds weird to say an influence because the whole project's about her, right? So it's like, she's not an influence, she's like the whole thing. But yeah, to have her kind of blessing, I guess, has been incredibly meaningful to me. But also, yeah, to have her input, like what an honour, you know, what a total honour to have her her time. It's, it's been incredible. And we've also become, it's really interesting because when I did the residency, I wasn't pregnant and I... I was a young woman. It was a different time in my life. <laughs> and then because of the way that kind of museums work and exhibitions work, I mean, as you know, like things take a really long time, you know, an exhibition is years in the making. So that was a couple of years ago. And then I became pregnant. Uh, I think I was maybe just pregnant around the time that the exhibition got confirmed or maybe I became pregnant a bit after. Yeah, I, I, I was around the same time. So in a way, like kind of, working on this exhibition and book it has been like directly over the course of my daughter being born and my first few months with her and that should have been like horrendously stressful right you know like trying to mm-hmm. edit a book curate an exhibition but because of the topic because it was about Annie and also kind of directly because of my correspondence with Annie it has become such an incredible it's it's allowed me to find a way in my mind to unite my work with being a mother because that's kind of how Annie has managed to live. And she also has such fascinating thoughts about breastfeeding, birth. Like I had some complications after I gave birth, I got really sick. We talked about that. Like she's, she's had such an influence on me and these kind of, this correspondence that we have had that has been a real constant for me has been just so, so influential on how I think about so many things. And what's been really, really amazing for me is having a child there is such a sense of kind of negotiation like you negotiate your time and your space and you're trying to carve that out for yourself like with yourself with the baby with other people but usually there's kind of an expectation that you have to keep that quite secret especially from people you work with like you're not Mm. emailing them and being like I don't really want to be sat at my desk today because like my baby's not feeding very well or we, she didn't sleep well last night or she's really sick or like this isn't as good as I want it to be because I'm too tired you know like you, you kind of keep all of that to yourself there's a lot of like thank you so much for your patience in emails and yeah. being able to kind of talk to Annie about that process while also talking to her about this book being made and the exhibition has just been the most amazing thing because it's it's stopped me from cleaving myself which I think is something that a lot of working mums feel like they have to do they sort of cleave they're the mom they're a mom and then they're a kind of a thinker or a worker or an artist or whatever they are a writer but I've sort of learned not to have to do that yeah it sounds so transformational that like one of those really sort of yeah transformational collaborations and one of the big questions I had for you, which you sort of just like perfectly unraveled was like, how on earth did you build an architecture for this project? Because it could have got, you know, just thinking about Annie's work, but thinking about the collection at the museum and like all of the endless pathways and ideas that could have been explored. I was like, how the hell did you kind of make decisions around that? So it's so interesting to think about, you know, your intentions with it, her intentions with it, your collaboration together. And then it sounds like there was some more of those sort of like guttural responses as well, like with you making these interconnections between other parts of her work and what they conjured for you it's really interesting to hear that richness that is a big part of it and I'm aware that some people will be like but I don't understand why is this photographer in or I don't I actually had an interview with a like a French journalist a couple of weeks ago and she was kind of like but I don't understand why this photographer is in like their work is such a different style to Annie's and I was like but what do you mean by that like what do you and I think that in itself is kind of what I was quite open to was the idea of interpretation and that some people would be like but this looks like Annie's work and I mean as soon as someone starts to do that or starts saying but this doesn't look like Annie's work then they're kind of doing the whole point of the exhibition which is to question a text and then it like can you read a photograph can you see a text you know like can you treat Annie's work as a photograph can we think of her as a photographer um so I think in a way there's a kind of irony because I think if people are like oh but hang on I don't think this is this is right it doesn't it doesn't look like her work then then yeah as I said like they're kind of doing the point already I think to give it a kind of architecture is a good question I think one thing was like focusing on one book right because using exteriors as the kind of jump off point was really important like as I said you know obviously there's elements from other 
aspects of her writing that have had a huge impact on the show but the exhibit like the texts that are exhibited are from a single book and that gives it a kind of framework and similarly the Met collection gives it a framework you know it stops it stops it just being a sort of a total because I mean there's so many photographers that you can and you know this isn't a sort of like these are the most Annie Erno-ish photographer you know you could find mm. you many many connections but you know using this collection as a framework and I liked the idea of using a collection of a frame as a framework as well because so much of Annie's work is kind of about collections of evidence you know she ha- she kind of even the way she uses her own family photographs it's this idea of kind of a box of things that you rake through so the idea of using the Met collection almost like it was my box of things to go through it felt very Annie-ish in my mind I mean, I think it's actually a really simple project, which is at the beginning of Exteriors, she talks about trying to write as if she's making images. This project treats those texts as images. And it's a group show. It's a group show about exteriors, basically about looking around the urban environment and making observations. Like you could say it's a street photography show and she's just one of the street photographers included. I mean, there's many different ways to think about it, but I think... I wanted it to have that kind of like vibrant simplicity because that is also such a facet of Annie's work. You know, she writes in an incredibly clear way and she doesn't, you know, she famously talks about her work being a cut below literature. You know, she's not interested in these kind of like fancy fitting literary devices. And that was really, really important to me that someone could walk into the show, like knowing absolutely nothing, you know, not read my kind of introductory panel explaining about it and encounter one of Annie's texts, encounter a photograph by whoever, you know, Tony Ray Jones, Moriyama, like anyone, and then get what was going on there. Get that, you know, there was a synergy between the two. And I think you can do that. I hope you can do that. So to me, there is a kind of like really remarkable simplicity to it. And then obviously you can delve deeper. Like for someone who visits the exhibition and knows a lot about Annie's work, they will have a certain kind of interpretation they'll maybe pick up on some of the little nods and kind of combinations and things like that but I think I mean I don't know what your experience was like when you read the book but I think it's without any kind of additional justification it's quite easy to see what's going on there you know you do start thinking like okay this text is an image like you think of it as like a, a photograph I hope I don't know what your experience was like you can tell me if you didn't have that No, I did. Absolutely. I think for me, there were so many interesting things going on. (laughs) This may sound like a bit random, but I thought, I wonder how many photographers' work would improve if they read Annie's work. (laughs) That's such a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I don't know about that. I feel like I did get really fascinated. I mean, this is kind of too long to talk about, but I got really fascinated by photographers who work in a similar way to Annie where they like endlessly analyze why they're making work because you know in Annie's books what's really remarkable about them is while she's writing something she also kind of a lot of the actual text that ends up in the book is her talking about what she's trying to do with that book like what she's trying to achieve what she's trying to think about what each sentence is trying to do it's quite an unusual thing there are some photographers in the exhibition I mean Moriyama would be a good example of that or Luigi Giri who's spent a lot of time like thinking about why like what their media is like what it means to make images like what I mean Moriyama especially kind of thinking about like what is photographic reality like what how can you know all of these things so I I do think there are photographers who probably would have a very lively conversation with Annie um, in that sense and I tried to include those as well but yeah it's a really good question one thing that was really important to me was that the texts and the images like I didn't want the photographs to feel like illustrative like obviously there are some kind of happy connections like supermarkets or food shopping but I didn't want it to be like oh here's a text where she's writing about you know being in the supermarket and here's a nice photograph of the supermarket like don't they chime well together like I really didn't want it to be to be like that it really had to be a kind of an ethos thing about a way of seeing and that was what connected them rather than it being kind of subject matter and obviously subject matter is like part of ethos right like what you're interested in Mm. looking at but it uh, just that thing of it being illustrative I wanted to avoid yeah, I just really love the rigour around it and what it made. I mean, you ask these questions in your your essay in terms of thinking about, you know, can you see a text? Can you read a photograph? But also thinking about, you know, our expectations and ideals that we project onto these media. And text and image have always had this really interesting and often divisive relationship, right? Like just even the nature of so many artists being like, my work doesn't need to be explained. Whereas I feel like we're moving not that this is what Annie's doing, obviously, but like, I feel like we're moving into a space where people are starting to appreciate 
the power of text and image within photography more and, and what that relationship can actually do to further the work. So from just thinking about, yeah, like I just kept thinking like, I wonder what, you know, emerging photographers, how they would respond to to Annie's work. And I feel like it could be quite powerful. It really feels like it speaks to a lot of the work of, I don't know, like I was just making, it was interesting to look at the collection of images in the book. And then I started, my brain just started to drift because I think there are so many connections. It almost felt like you were reading a novel. Like I kept going so deep into, it was conjuring so much for my imagination is what I'm trying to messily say. That's really nice to hear that actually, because that's really, I really want it to be like a jump off point. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I really feel about the project. Like it is, it's very speculative as a project. It's very open as a project. It is I mean, the whole premise of it totally relies on a reaction, right? You know, it's, it's about, like, asking whether Annie's text can be images. And the only way that you can do that is by people are enc- encountering them. So either in the physical space or in the book. So the whole project relies on an audience. Like, it relies on reaction and interpretation. So in that sense, like, it's just so nice to hear that you sort of felt something from looking through it. Because those texts are going to become images by the way that they're sort of perceived. I mean, a lot of the the kind of things within Annie's writing, these questions that she has about, yeah, like truth and memory and bias and, you know, like, I think these are questions that are happening in contemporary photography a lot at the Mm. moment. So I think, you know, the the kind of preoccupations of her work feel very photographic in a sense, you know, that like these things that she was striving for. But I am also really interested in the cliches, you know, the cliches that have long existed around truth and reality and how that relates to photography and literature and how we interpret different biases and like yeah I mean there's a really rich history of that within France as well like really interesting kind of union um, and relationship between photography and literature you know, that's kind of always been there that you can look at through so many different writers and, and thinkers and intellectuals and photographers so that there's, there's also an element of that this show which kind of is like I mean, I don't want it to be like a super academic project, but, you know, you, that is kind of nodding to that history within France. Like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot that's been written about that already, but it's, it's obviously like a bit of a kind of tipping my cap to that as well. Yeah, it definitely had a sense of like time travel for me, which I think maybe that was just personal to where like my point of view in photography but I felt like I was kind of in your material, but then I was like, oh, I wonder what this show would look like if it had like... Samuel Killison and Miriam Boulos and like some of the photographers who I feel like like right now are kind of engaging in some of these ideas that Annie's exploring and I was like there's just almost like I could see multiple iterations of it yeah that's really interesting actually because a curator from a, a different museum emailed me the other day and was like like would you reapply it to like our collection and like there is an element of, of that where you could yeah, like you can take these texts and it's kind of funny that you mentioned Sam Yukimis as well because I wrote an essay for his book that just came out at the same time as like working on this project and they did kind of really merge in my head. So yeah, I mean, definitely she's she's had a big impact on the way that I look at images completely. Do you think it's affected or shaped or like changed how you think about your writing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she's like a huge impact on on me as a writer, I think. Like, and definitely the kind of, just the ambition of it, right? The conviction and ambition of her writing. You know, she is so not interested in some, like, beautiful sounding sentence, but that, like, fluffs a meaning or that, like, sounds great but doesn't really say anything. You know, just that her commitment to saying truth. Well, not truth. Like, her saying, like, what, like trying to say truth. Because I think there's an awareness that it's a kind of, like, what is truth? It's impossible to kind of... But this kind of commitment to like getting to like the essence of things, I find that really, really just like how motivational, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like I, totally. I, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, exactly. So yes, it's she's had a big impact on me, definitely. I'm curious what you think, but like for me, there was a real through line. Like we, we, you know, we started talking a little bit at the beginning about there's a lot of connective tissue in your practice, but then you know, on first glance, there's a lot of sort of divergent themes but for me there's a lot of kind of maybe like a shared interest around this like alertness to life as Annie describes it between Annie and Shirley Baker I mean Shirley is a really good example because as you said a total alertness to life 
she had such an interest in kind of the performance of identity. That's something that is such a big part of Annie's work, you know, the performance of status and class. I mean, they're kind of similar in a way. It's annoying, actually, because when I saw Annie this week, I'd wanted to take her a copy of that book and I forgot. So next time I see Annie, I need to give her that Shelley Baker book because I think she would really like it. So, yeah, there, there are definitely parallels, I think, there. How are you presenting the texts in the show? Good question. So they are quite literally on the wall. <laughs> it's pretty simple. They are printed out and put on the wall at a scale where they are readable. We've had various conversations about different ways of doing things. But in the end, like, it's not really about, like, making it, like, look like a book page on the wall or, like, all these different things that you kind of think about when you start on the kind of graphic layer of an exhibition. I sort of, like, kind of drill down to us, like, it just doesn't matter. It just, it does, the image just has to be on the wall. <laughs> like mm. so that's kind of what it was I was like this text is an image and it needs to go up on the wall so that's kind of I mean I mean working with Simon Baker at MEP has been really great because I think I struggled for a while not so much about like what the text should look like but how they should be hung in relation to the photography and how to do that in a way where it didn't feel as I said like illustrative and he had some really really great ideas about that which I mean it's not like I'm being coy it's more it's kind of just hard to explain it like I think when you're in the space it kind of makes sense like it, it's it's also like you know it's tricky to work out how to hang them in a way where they don't kind of become muddled with wall text you know things like that so mm. that's all been a bit of a challenge but like I think to me I just always came back to this idea of like these are images like this is a collection of photographs that are going to go on this wall what did the book offer you in terms of like complimenting the show or offering something different to the show the book is really really nice but it, it presented a real challenge because with the book right you would so the exhibition is about taking the texts and changing the format right like that so the whole premise of this project is to treat the text as images so to hang them in the wall of a museum so to hang them in the context that you would encounter photography and obviously you do encounter photography in a book but there's something kind of quite obviously transformative about removing them from a book and putting them on a wall it does quite a lot in terms of being like we are treating this as an image so obviously then making a book is kind of returning the text to their original form which is printed in a book where you go through it in a certain order and there's a kind of a beginning and an end all of that's disrupted in the context of a, of a, a gallery space right you know like when you're reading a text, you usually do it on your own. You usually go through and from beginning to end. Whereas as soon as you put something in the wall, like you're encountering it maybe with a group of friends, you ping pong around the space. You don't necessarily read things in the order that are defined. So it, it already does some work in like disrupting the usual experience. And that obviously prompts you to think about having a different reaction or a different perception. So there was definitely a challenge with putting it back in the book. And I feel like <laughs> when I first started working with Mac, I was probably really annoyed because I kept being like, but these are photographs. Like this must feel like a, <laughs> a book of photographs. You know, there's like, obviously there's like an impossibility to that in a sense, like there's typography and there's things like that. But I feel like it, I feel like it is just a really special artifact. And again, like the, there's certain things in the book that kind of sum up my thinking of this so you get these kind of collections of the text almost like they're photographs you know like you'll kind of have it's not they are kind of interdispersed through the imagery but they're also kind of grouped in certain ways that like you get kind of a bunch of text together in the same way that if you were hanging an exhibition you might group kind of four works by the same photographer together so there's there's sort of that going on it's nice that it sort of means that it can have a life beyond the physical space as well because I feel like Annie has such a rich audience and a really broad audience not all of whom will make it to Paris for this show so the book was really 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 special and it really helped me with things like yeah like the ordering I mean the ordering in the book and the exhibition they're sort of loosely done around themes relating to Annie's work so kind of starting with entering public space so it kind of mirrors some of the stuff going on in exterior so you, like, entering public space so kind of interior and exterior and then there's works that sort of look at the kind of the darkness or kind of loneliness of the urban environment which is that something that you see in Annie's work you know she often writes about sort of like this kind of violence that's pulsing under the surface of the city or, or that's explicit at points or she'll write about loneliness or homelessness and so that's something that was there there's also a lot in Annie's work about leisure culture you know she's really interested in these kind of everyday spaces that say a lot about society so there's a lot that's kind of supermarkets shops cafes that kind of thing and then you have a section of what well, not a section like a suite of images that more look at class and status because that 
again, is such a huge part of exteriors is, is the kind of, yeah, the way that we perform our identity and the way that like physical space allows us to do that. But so there was that element of these kind of groups of ideas, but there was also a sort of sense of like wanting it to feel almost like you are a person moving through an urban environment. So it's very subtle, but in the book you get up and you enter public space and you then take the subway you commute and travel because that's a huge part of exteriors you know she's on the move she's commuting so then you, you take your subway and then you find yourself in a kind of meeting place so with you know shops and supermarkets or cafes and while you're in this public space you kind of perform yourself so that's it's kind of also like there's a loose sense of and then right at the end you get back on the subway <laughs> i mean it's quite subtle <laughs> but that is kind of what happens in the book if you look at it very closely that happens mm. but it's a day in an urban environment that's what i mean there's all these little things going on that i've spent a probably insane amount of time thinking about um, <laughs> so that was also something and the book like doing that flow within a book was really really interesting um because there's, I should say, there's a really good line in exteriors that I sort of came back to, like again and again and again, which is in Annie's introduction, where she says, I believe that desire, frustration and social and cultural inequality are reflected in the way we examine the contents of our shopping trolley or in the words we use to order a cut of beef or pay tribute to a painting, that the violence and shame inherent in society can be found in the contempt a customer shows for a cashier, or in the vagrant begging for money who is shunned by his peers, in anything that appears to be unimportant and meaningless simply because it is familiar or ordinary. Our experience of the world cannot be subject to classification. In other words, the feelings and thoughts inspired by places and objects are distinct from their cultural content. Thus, a supermarket can provide just as much meaning and human truth as a concert hall. So that really, like, kind of every, every stage of this project, whether it was kind of doing the layout of the book, thinking about typography, like, thinking about the hang, like, it always comes, choosing the images, like, you know, big thing, all came back to kind of that idea. I had not heard that quote until I read your book, and it was, it's like one of those things that, like, gives shivers up your spine. It's very Like, good. it just is... It's brilliant. It's genius. But it's such a reframing that like it's almost one of those things that you read or hear or encounter. You're like, OK, like I'm changed now. Like that's it's given me a, it's like a line in the ground kind of line that just gives you a different way. Like it's just, yeah, it's a different way of seeing like it's just so pointed. It's such a brilliant, brilliant quote. Yeah, but it's also like I mean, that's what I really like about Annie's work is like so much of it. You know, it can be really read as a rallying cry or it can mm. just be read as a statement of fact. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what's really fascinating about her work. And it's kind of the same with a lot of the photographers in this show. Like Their work can be read as a rallying cry, or it can be read as a statement of something that happened. Um, and I think that's what I find very rich in the work, I guess. you know, Because what she's saying there is, is, is correct, but it's also, as you say, like profoundly inspiring. But it's also just true. Like It's just yeah. an observation of something you could almost say is quite uh, banal you know like just mm-hmm, that life happens mm-hmm. everywhere and human truth happens everywhere and meaning can be found everywhere you know we, we all know that but some, I, I think I think that's what is what her power is you know is is just that kind of open she's a very open eyes <laughs> I guess that would be a way of putting it so quick five questions how do you deal with self-doubt um, it's constant problem. I perpetually exist in a whirlwind of self-doubt and shame and confusion and embarrassment. Yet I don't deal with it. It's a big problem. How has success changed your work? Uh, I never feel successful, even slightly. I always feel like I am just like, I don't feel very successful. So that's, I wouldn't say it's changed my work. And what does your practice and like multifaceted practice enable you to do? Had you gone like in a completely different career direction, you wouldn't have access to? Probably just meet the most fascinating people in the world. That's something that I feel like endless gratitude for. Like thinking about this project with Annie, like even just like the fact that these amazing emails that I've had with her that I will show to my daughter when she's older. I'm talking about my like the birth of my child. I'm talking about that experience of figuring out being a mum to do that with someone like Annie, I know like what an incredible privilege. Like it's just, I think that's 
I, I just get to meet the most amazing, interesting people. And like, I'm like an incredibly nosy person. And my job just like gives me total license to be like incredibly nosy and like ask constant questions and that's like really really amazing I think that's definitely the best part of of what I do yeah it's endless pleasure for me this is kind of an interesting one based on what we've been talking about but do you think photographs have the power to still kind of shift thinking your consciousness yes I I I feel like images even in these moments and I think we're in one of them at the moment where we're in a sort of like image anxious moment I mean, David Company actually did a really good show about this. I think it was called A Thousand Sunsets, which was about image mm-hmm. agitation and how people have always been agitated that there are like too many images. Because um, we're in that moment at the, right now, right, where people are like, there's too many mm-hmm. selfies on social media. Like, everyone's a photographer. What does it mean? And he did this great show that was looking at how that has always, there's always kind of been a moral panic about quantity of image production, <laughs> which is kind of reassuring, actually. But I definitely feel like we're in a kind of low moment in terms of like image like people are scared of images at the moment they're scared of how many there are or they're scared that they're too banal or they're scared that they're they all look the same or they're scared that they've lost their meaning and I think that's really interesting in that agitation you see like the concerns and values and cliches of society so I find that really fascinating I mean images are so powerful everyone's so stressed about images all the time at the moment you know like Mm. that's fascinating to me what an interesting time to be thinking about pictures yeah it's so true to finish up I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show and that's what matters more to you the process of making your work or the final product be a book a show okay I want to be really noble and be like it's the process and it probably actually is the process I think if I have if I have a really shit time working on something that has a big impact on me and I have got better as I've got older at walking away from stuff if it makes me miserable um, even if it's stuff that I thought I really wanted or that looks super kind of successful and impressive to go back to your question about success so it probably is the process if I feel like I didn't learn something or if I feel like it was kind of a lie in some way like it was kind of too easy or not really I hate that but then I I think I love things that feel audience I I spend so much of my time on my own like literally sat on my own working so I love the final moment where you get to talk about it with other people you know like where people see it that and usually that's where my ideas come from is that process of reception and discussion I think I couldn't do it without that you know like I I couldn't like if this exhibition opened and I was like oh I'm not gonna go and I'm never gonna see I'm gonna talk to anyone about it I just you know I, I did it and that was enough for me like that wouldn't work for me I need that kind of discussion and like also I need someone to be like well done Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lou. It was such a joy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at gemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.